Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Dr. Robert Rafula. Is. 
the question that uh, Victor had asked me is this. Are there biblical examples of people who initially did not believe in Jesus, but after the resurrection, they believed in him? Are there people who did not believe in Jesus initially, but eventually after the death and resurrection, believe in him? So I went researching on this question, wanting to find out an answer. And um, I came up uh, with three categories of people who were the audience of Jesus Christ during his time. The first category um, is represented by the individuals I've named there, Pontius Pilate, Herod, and the soldiers. Roman government officials. Jesus had an interaction with the Roman government officials. Now, this group of people had very limited interest in who Jesus was. And as a matter of fact, they only got involved towards the tail end of Jesus' ministry. We hear about Pontius Pilate and Herod. Herod briefly during Jesus' birth but more strongly concentrated passages on these two towards the end, towards the 33 years of Jesus Christ's life on earth. And they only get interested in the question of religion and particularly the message that Jesus Christ was bringing because Jesus' message was so, was so out of place, if I may use that word, in the in the, in the manner of the religious vitality of the time. He started preaching a kingdom that was not particularly in consistency with the religious leaders of the time. And so he was way out there. And he started causing some discomfort. And towards the very end, it started causing almost to the level of rioting. And that is when the government officials got involved. Now, in our country, we elect governors through the ballots. In the ancient world, the governors were directly appointed by the president, the king. And part of their duty was to maintain peace in their jurisdictions. So, Pontius Pilate and Herod, for all else that they did, was to make sure that Judea, where Jesus was born, was peaceful. There's no riot. There are no people that are going against the Roman government officials. When Jesus started, you know, causing friction, and I'll talk about that in a minute, um, they became involved. They became concerned. Their job was online. And so they wanted to end that riotous behavior as quickly as possible. And so, when Jesus is brought before them, they want to find a way. What is, what, who is this? What is he doing? And eventually when they found out, and they eventually determined that it was in the best interest to let Jesus die than to lose their political careers, they did exactly that. Theirs was an interest of political power. They didn't care 
who Jesus was, whether he lived, whether he died. He was just one of those people that people knew. That's it. They had no faith in him. They did not believe in heaven. They did not believe in the afterlife. The second group of people are what we call the religious leaders. And as I have mentioned, the religious leaders had a very acrimonious relationship with Jesus. They could not possibly come to grasp with the idea that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is born in the lowly manner that he was. The Messiah is supposed to be born in a kingly state. According to the long-held tradition, he was supposed to be from the Davidic line of kingship. And if you are Jewish at that time, their long-held hope was for somebody who will come out of the Davidic line of descent and take over political leadership, conquer the Romans, and have overwhelming um, kingdom of God here on earth. When Jesus began teaching of the kingdom of God out there, they were very confused and very terribly angry. Especially when he said, I'm the son of God, and I am the Jesus you have been waiting for. They became very upset. This cannot And Jesus began healing people. He was this friendly people person. Everywhere he went, there were crowds. And the religious leaders were afraid that he may take over. And they will lose their political bishopric power. The church power. Because this man is taking everybody out. And so they wanted him dead. They wanted him out. They believed God. They believed in the, in, 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 in the God of heaven. But they just did not believe in this particular Jesus. They wanted an, a different Jesus. Not this one that is telling us about the kingdom of God. That was born of Joseph and Mary and was born in such a flash. No, this cannot be the Messiah that we want. Category three is Jesus' disciples. And I'm going to only speak about two people of this group. Peter. Peter was this hyper kind of disciple, full of energy. And he believed Jesus. He was among the first disciples to be recruited into the Jesus movement. And at some point when Jesus asked, what do people say I am? And they give him an answer. And then he says, who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the son of God. You are the son of the living God. Please very amazing confession to make. You are the son of the living God. In a culture, like I said, Roman government culture, millennium, where this cannot be the son of God. You are. But pretty shortly, not too long after that, when the events of the crucifixion come up and people begin crying for Jesus' blood, 
And now it becomes very dangerous at this point because it's life for life, right? You confess Jesus, you are dead. You're going to probably be crucified alongside him. The decision has already been made. The verdict has been sealed. Jesus is going to be crucified. They are leading him away. And Peter, together with the other disciples, they are following at a distance. They want to see what happens. And somebody notices Peter. Says, hey, Peter, are you not a member of the Holy Presbyterian Church? I've never stepped in that church. What are you talking about? I don't even know where that the Holy Presbyterian What are you talking about? That was Peter's answer. I don't know that man. Get out of here. You stupid girl. What are you talking about? Who's going to beat you up? And the girl goes away and people, people are focusing on the Peter's over there. And whew, I'm now safe. But Jesus had predicted that. Not too long later. Someone said, hey, 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 Peter, Peter, are you one of, are you not with this man? Oh my God, what a luck today. Why are these people noticing me? Come on, leave me alone, there are other disciples here. Why are you not picking them? And he said, man, I don't know that man. And he does that three times. The second apostle Thomas wants tangible evidence. Jesus is dead, he's crucified, and the people come around, they say, Thomas, listen, Jesus has risen, he's alive, as he said, he's going to go to heaven, he's around, hallelujah, we are all very happy. Come on now, stop joking, it's too early in the morning. Just give me some coffee and leave me alone. Stop gossips in the morning. Who, who, can, who can die and come out, out from the grave? Come on now. They said, no, no, actually he's risen. Leave me alone. The man was, he died. Leave me out of this story. And they're like, no, no, he actually died. And he is alive. And they're like, okay, okay. Let me just play along with your story so that you leave me alone. If you can produce him here, and I can see the nail marks that I can touch. Now, remember, he was biased also on the side. If I can put my hand there, then I will believe that Jesus is actually here and he's alive. He was that kind of disciple that wanted tangible evidence. Now, oftentimes we have always erroneously perhaps believed that, uh, that Thomas is the exception of the other disciples who believed God. But I am here to say that if, in fact, you asked all the other disciples, they will have probably individually answered the same way that Thomas They did not believe, just like he did. Now, if you look at the other disciples' behavior, 
you're going to find that in very general, when Jesus begins talking to them about his impending death and his resurrection and his going to heaven, they all together look very confused. They don't understand what he's talking about. For almost three years of ministry, he has walked with them, he has preached with them, he has ate with them, he has done miracles with them. Remember the fish and other miracles? And still they can't understand who this man is. And so, in John 16, when Jesus is now preparing them for his eventual death, and begins telling them the story of how he's going to go to heaven, they turn to each other and ask, we don't understand what he's saying, do we? I don't really know what this man's talking about. Do you? Do you? Does anybody among us understand what's going on? And none of them understood what Jesus was about. At the best, the disciples had what I call confession of faith, but no deep conviction of faith. They confess him like Peter did. Oh, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the one we follow. But when rubber hits the road, when it counted for them to stand up and show their faith, they all disappeared. And when you read other gospel stories, the disciples begin saying, let's go back fishing. This man is out. Let's just go back to what we did before. They had confession of faith and no deep Christian faith. Just to illustrate what that means, um, there was a pastor. We are now in the search of a pastor. We're going to get a new pastor sometime soon, God willing. There was a pastor who was hired by a new church, like we're going to hire a pastor. And he came in and found this congregation, people who loved God, and they confessed God very strongly. And he noticed one song, he's a new pastor, noticed one song, a couple of Sundays, they kept singing the song every day. We want to go to heaven, we want to go to heaven, this world is not our place. We want to go to heaven, dun, 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 dun. So the pastor wanted to know how deeply they believed about wanting to go to heaven. So he found an architecture to, 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 to kind of get um, trappers, curtains for the church, to make it pitch black. And one Sunday he turned up, we started singing, we want to go to heaven. Ding, 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 as our music team was playing. Ding, 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 ding. And the pastor let the curtains down. He switched off the lights. The room was pitch black. And he, and he said, now is the time to go to heaven. Get ready in a minute. One, two. And everybody, they found the nearest exit to get out of the church. And when the pastor turned on the light, he was the only one standing there. Everybody was out. And so he went down and asked, what, what happened? We were just saying we want to go to heaven. None of you wants to go to heaven now? He said, come on, pastor. It's not, it's not supposed to happen that way. 
That's not how it should happen. We, we, need, we need some preparation. We need some advance notice. How can Jesus come like that? And the pastor said, do you read the scriptures? What does it say? How is he going to come? How much advance notice is he going to give anybody for his second coming? Now, that church had confession of faith. But many of its members did not believe deeply that heaven is the place they want to be. At least not for that moment. Maybe later, when I'm old and I die peacefully, then I can go to heaven. Everybody ran out and nobody stayed. The question I want to ask now, returning back to our question, did the death and resurrection of Jesus change anybody? Did it affect confession of faith and change anybody to conviction of faith? Did that ever happen? And this is where I want us to just quickly reprove certain scriptures. Starting with Matthew chapter 27, verse 42. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sopachan, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him that were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, In Acts, we read, but Peter and John replied, which is the right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges, and as for us, we cannot help about, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. So those scriptures outline to us what happened after Jesus' death and resurrection. A, a couple of events happen that we miss when we read very quickly. The text says the curtain in the, in the, in, in, in the temple on its own just got torn into pieces. 
Now, if you are not Jewish and subscribe to this um, Judaism, you may not understand the significance of that. But the curtain was this divide that divided uh, the people from what was called the Holy of Holies, where a, a, a set of the tablets that uh, would represent the Ten Commandments was put. And um, that section of the church, only the priests would be able to go there. It was called the Holy of Holies. But that moment when Jesus died, that particular curtain was torn into pieces. And the Holy of Holies became a common space for everybody who believed in God. It became not a reserve for a particular group of people. There was an earthquake too, we are told. A very huge earthquake. And that earthquake caused the death to the, the, some dead people to resurrect. Now, you can imagine we are sitting here in the church and underneath us are graves of people who died in 1620. They were buried here, we don't know. And, uh, hey, excuse me, push this. You are, you are sitting on me. I need to get out. <laughs> I need to get out. And somebody, you go to your bedroom, and somebody's talking there. Hello, who is here? I just came from the grave. I was buried here. And so people woke up and they resurrected. You can imagine what is going on in people's minds, seeing people popping out from the ground. It was something out like it can only happen in the movies. But it did happen at that time. So when all these events happened, the centurion said, surely this was done of God. It changed him completely from this non-believer to now somebody who can not only believe but confess Jesus as the Son of God. Thomas, when he touched and saw that actually Jesus was alive, he was like, yes, my Lord and my God, I now believe you. I now believe you. And the final text was about the disciples, Peter and John. Remember three times denying Jesus? He did not want to die. He did not want pain. But this time after the resurrection, the momentous events, he comes and says, whatever you want to do to us, I don't, we don't care. Judge for yourselves. We cannot speak, stop, but tell you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to save you. He came to save us. You can kill me if you want. And by the way, many of the apostles, Jesus, according to church history, they were killed. Just like Jesus was. But they died confessing Jesus. Now, let me finish by saying, just thinking about what does that mean to us? One point that I want to say is that it took extraordinary events for people to believe in Jesus. They were rational human beings just like we are. Something needed to happen to cause them to believe. Without the death and the resurrection of Jesus, faith and all preaching would have been useless. But the events around that death and the resurrection, the momentous events, changed history forever. And people stood up to die for the faith 
years and years, generations after, after that. But secondly, we need to know that we are the arms, the hands, and the weight of Jesus Christ. He's not going to come back to preach. He's not going to come back to lead people to, to faith. He has left that task to those of us who believe. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. It's an honor that Jesus has bestowed on you and me that privilege that only belonged to the Son of God. He is the only one who died to save us. But when he left the earth, he bestowed it upon his disciples. And every generation has had people who have taken the mantle, believed God, and continued to stand for the Christian faith. God is counting on you. He's counting on me. Finally, if it took the early church to enact events that were extraordinary, we, do, we too must do the same. We cannot run an ordinary church where we come and sit and pray and go home. We've got to do extraordinary events that can lead people to believe. If you follow the Christian trends around the world at all, you will realize that in the last couple of decades, Christianity is waning around the world. More and more people are turning away from the faith than people who are turning more and more churches are becoming empty and empty as people decide to go out. Why? Because just like in the Bible times, they were, the, 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 the people were rational people. They want to see something that can push them to say, this is actually the Son of God. And us as a church, we have that responsibility to enact that. Now, I'm proud as I finish to say that the Holy Christian Church is away ahead of his scale. We have a lot of missions. We have a small groups who are to convince. We, we, and those groups, I know, are enacted by the pastors and the church, so that those groups can become an avenue for neighbors who live around the group meetings to come in and see what's happening around here. We have cornerstone ministries. We have in Kenya ministries in, 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 in Egypt. We have ministries in Kenya. Now, we need to continue to be vigilant, to make sure that these ministries are powerful enough that they will cause somebody to say, yes, through this holy Christian church, I can see Jesus. In the small groups, we need to love our neighbors, slow down for them, greet them, say hello, how are you? Can I help carry your basket to your room? And people go, wow, this person is like you. And even like, by the way, we go to a Christian group that meets here. And I want to come and see, you know, do something to bring people to Christ. It's counting on you. Extraordinary events is what it took the church. Extraordinary events.